Now, at this point, uh, we're going to go into our time of God's Word, and the sermon today is going to be different. We actually have a, uh, a guest coming to share his testimony, which really lines up with what we've been studying in Ephesians 2 over the last few weeks. So I hope you'll enjoy that, and uh, let's go into God's Word. Greetings. My name is Amalubai, and I've been asked by the leadership of your church uh, to share my story. Because of the things I understand that you are being taught and challenged with, they thought that my story would be meaningful. I am a descendant of the ancient Persians, and I live in the year 52 AD by the calendar that you use. I grew up in the same place I've always lived, between the two great rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates. Neighbors of mine and business associates are followers of the Jewish religion, and they're a minority where we live, but they are good businessmen, so we, uh, we do business together. But I'm persuaded by these people because they have really great character and uh, they have a great love for their God. Their God is not like the Zoroastrian God. There are some similarities, but uh, they are very passionate about their God. Every year, around springtime, the Jewish people would celebrate about a great deliverance that their God uh, shared with them. And they were always talking about this homeland that they had to the west, a city called Jerusalem. And they said in Jerusalem is where their God, the God who made heaven and earth, would meet with his people. And so I was really intrigued by this, but I was very intrigued when I found out that their very first patriarch had come from my land, a land between the two great rivers. I was intrigued, so intrigued that I stopped my business, I shut it down, I told my relatives, they thought I was crazy because I wanted to go on a journey to Jerusalem to see this Passover celebration. I wanted to go to this land that had been promised to the Jewish people. So my journey started off and I started on the roads of my own homeland and I eventually made it to the king's highway and then eventually I entered into the land of the Syrians where I began to walk on the Roman roads, those roads that were paved with stones. As I got to Syria, my journey turned south and I went into the city of Damascus, which was a bustling city. I was very interested in stopping there, but because of the time and because I wanted to get to Jerusalem, I did not stop. And I headed south until I got to the sea that they call Galilee. As I came to the top of the sea, I had to make a decision. Was I going to go on the east side or on the west side? But it seemed like most of the people who were journeying south went on the west east side of the, the sea, so I decided that I would travel south with them, have some companions. It was getting late, and I reached an area that uh, they called Ten Cities, or the Decapolis, and so I decided I was going to stay there for the night, and I went into the, the lodge, and while I was in there, uh, the innkeeper 
told me this story about his father. His father, at one time as a young man, had been uh, severely afflicted with demons so badly that he had lived in the tombs and slept among the tombs and walked among the tombs and people thought he was out of his mind. But as sad as that is, the story is is that one day a boat came over from the Jewish side, the west side of that Sea of Galilee, came across and landed there and there was something in his father that recognized that one of the men that was on that boat, there was something special that this was a holy man. Well, my father, I mean, his father was uh, scared of this man, but this man was not scared of him. In fact, he walked towards the innkeeper's father and laid his hands upon him and spoke compassionately to him. And there was something that inside him that just began to go berserk. But this Jewish man spoke to the demons, and then he released his father from their power. His father wanted to follow this Jewish man, but the Jewish man said no. He wanted him to stay there so that he could tell everybody what had happened. And so this man that I'm talking to, his dad had told, he'd heard his dad tell this story over and over, and so he wanted to tell me about one of the great deliverances that had happened. I went to bed that night thinking about that story, and I started to wonder, was there some important reason that I was on this journey during Passover to Jerusalem that maybe I wasn't even sure of? So I woke up the next morning, and I knew I had to continue moving south. Uh, and as I was going along, I left the capitalist, and I was moving through this valley that uh, contained a river that they called Jordan. And as I was going, the crowds were starting to get thicker, uh, heading down south. Everyone was going to Jerusalem, and I would hear people telling stories, and I realized that this river had a lot of importance to the Jewish people. Apparently, when God, their God, had given the land to them, uh, the people had to cross over in mass, and there were hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of them at that point. And God literally stopped the flow of this river so that their nation could cross over on dry ground. Now, that was like 1,500 years before my journey was happening, but on the other side, there was this stack of stones that had been laid up as memorial that was still there, and you could see. And hear about it. Another story that they had told me about was about a great prophet that had not been gone that long and he had actually been baptizing in this river. He had baptized in order to call the people back, the nation of Israel, back to faithfulness to their God. And those whose hearts were put in the right place, they were baptized to show that they were really sorrowful for their sins and they wanted to follow God. But this prophet was talking about uh, preparing a way for one who would come after him, who he wasn't even worthy to untie his sandals. And people didn't really know what he was talking about, but the story was something that was creating a lot of interest. Now, 
I was getting closer to Jerusalem, and so I decided to stay in the town just on the other side of the Jordan River, and this town was called Jericho. In Jericho, because of the crowds, there really wasn't anywhere for me to stay, so it was a clear night, and I decided that I would just sleep out under the stars. It was warmer than normal, although it was springtime, so it was still a little chill in the air. As I was as it was getting dark, I saw this on the other side of a field. There was a circle of men that were around this fire. And so I decided to walk up to this fire and see if I could warm up. All of the men were Jewish. And as they looked at me, they noticed that I was not a Jew and kind of got mixed reactions from them and almost felt like I was just going to go back and sit back uh, where I was going to sleep that night when an old man, a really old man, who was really short, by the way, stands up from the middle of this circle and he tells one of the younger boys to give up his seat in a show of hospitality. And as I sat down, this old man starts telling a story, a story that apparently he had told many times before. The man's name was Zacchaeus. And apparently, a great preacher, a great teacher from maybe 20, 25 years earlier had come to his town. And he had heard about this teacher. His name was Jesus. And he was so short he couldn't see, so he actually climbed a tree. And Jesus saw him up in the tree. I think it made Jesus sort of happy to see how interested he was. And he called Zacchaeus down and said he was going to eat at his house. Now, the thing about Zacchaeus was his profession was a tax collector. And tax collectors weren't really beloved people because they worked with the Romans. And so... But Zacchaeus actually had defrauded people. He'd actually taken too much taxes and kind of kept it to himself. But that night while he was eating this meal with Jesus and he had invited some of his friends to join him, something happened in Zacchaeus' heart, he said, and he decided that he was going to give half of everything he owned to the poor. And if he had ever taken money from someone, he had that in his records, he was actually going to give them back that money plus some. The teacher, Jesus, with great joy in his heart, said, Salvation has come to this house, for the Son of Man comes to seek and save that which was lost. I was sitting in this circle, and then I left to go lay down. I'm thinking, what could this mean? The Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. Before I knew it, it was morning. I fell asleep thinking about these wonderful thoughts. I wanted to reach Jerusalem, so I got going quickly. But the streets were just getting thicker and thicker with crowds. Every so often, carts would come by carrying young male goats that I assumed were headed to the temple. I found out that I was getting winded. I was like, well, what's going on? And I realized that we've been walking uphill. And I realized that you're always going up to Jerusalem. It's, it's a city built on top of the hills. That didn't bother the people. As they were going up to Jerusalem, they were singing these songs from their, their holy book, these psalms that had been written by one of their previous kings, Psalms of ascent, psalms that said things like, I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, 
who made heaven and earth. One of the Psalms said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And I was starting to feel that same gladness in my heart as we were approaching to Jerusalem. One of the Psalms I remember saying, and by the way, you'll be thankful that I'm not singing them, but I know I can remember the words. It said, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joys. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And that's true. Because I remember when I was back in my homeland, thinking the Lord has done great things for this people. It was the reason I was on this journey. As I was walking, though, from Jericho towards Jerusalem, I recognized that people were looking at me differently. They were really looking at me without approval. There were a couple times when I noticed that mothers would grab young children and pull them behind them. It felt awkward because we were all going to the same place, the same place to worship God. I I, I wondered, they're singing songs about everything in heaven and earth has been made by God. Wouldn't that include me? As I'm thinking these thoughts, we go around a bend and finally I see it. Jerusalem, up on a hill. It was breathtaking. The walls surrounding the city were massive. The stones, I don't know how they built this city. And in the middle of the city, glistening like a diamond while with the sun radiating off of it, is the temple. Whitewashed, lined with gold, it was the most beautiful sight I have ever seen. I, back home, had heard great stories about the temple, but they had not prepared me for this vision. We're all moving towards the temple, and finally we get to the southern end of this massive temple mount, and we enter in through the gates. Everybody's together. The massive crowds are like a magnet being drawn to the temple. Everybody wanting to get closer to God. It was chaotic, but I didn't care because it was so exciting. My eyes were fixated on this beautiful building when all of a sudden I had to stop. And I realized I had run into a low wall. It was a boundary. I could see that people were making their way through it. So there were channels. So I began to make my way towards the nearest channel. But when I got to that channel and I was getting ready to walk through, one of the temple guards stood in front of me and stopped me and said that I couldn't go in. I could hardly believe it, but he had a weapon and I wasn't about to fight. I said, why can't I go in? And the only reason he gave me is because I wasn't a Jew. I wasn't a blood descendant of Abraham. And he pointed to a sign down on the little wall that says, Whoever is captured past this point will have themselves to blame for their subsequent death. All of a sudden, I realize that I'm surrounded by these businessmen making 
purchases and selling and they're exchanging money and there's animals everywhere. And I, what was exciting and chaotic before now is just annoying. And I realized is because I felt this boundary like I'd never expected. I was in the middle of a bazaar. I was in the middle of a, of a marketplace. This didn't feel like a place to approach God, approach a deity. I spent the next couple days just pondering. I stayed in Jerusalem. I'd finally arrived in the, in the destination, and yet it had become such a disappointment. I could, I could only go so far. I found myself walking among the olive orchards in the hillsides right near Jerusalem, and I would glance and I would see the temple there across the valley. I would find myself in gardens where people would just go for a peaceful respite. But the feeling inside me was not peace. The feeling inside me was rejection simply because of that wall, that wall that said no further, you can't go any further, that God would not have me. I began to wonder, is this the reason that so many along the way had seemed inhospitable? Is this the reason because God didn't want me? I felt like a stranger, a stranger to the God who had made promises and covenants with his people. I felt like an outcast. I decided after a few days that I'd had enough. I decided I was going to leave Jerusalem. I was certainly soured by my experience. Soured at a God who would reject me simply because of my ethnicity. But if he's the one who made heaven and earth and everything in it, he made me, he made me my ethnicity. Had I missed something along the way? What had drawn me on this journey? I didn't know. Well, rather than backtracking and going the long way back through Jericho and then crossing over the Jordan River, I decided I'm getting out of here. I'm going straight north. As I was leaving town, the last vision that I had of Jerusalem, I, w I made the decision I wasn't going to look at the temple, but the last vision I had was up on a hill was a series of wooden crosses that the Romans had put up there. I found out that those wooden crosses were there for the sole purpose of executing people who were the worst of the worst criminals. And a shudder went down my spine thinking, what a horrible way to end a life. So as I'm traveling north, I'm recognizing there's a lot less people on this path than there was coming into Jerusalem. And I realize it's because I'm going through an area called Samaria. And the Samaritan people were historically kind of a mixture between uh, Jewish people and non-Jewish people who had intermarried. And the Jewish people really did not like them. And I realize that's one of the reasons as people were traveling south to Jerusalem, that's, they didn't go through this area. But I didn't care anymore. I didn't want to become a Jew. So I'm on my way through and I 
It's getting late, and I eventually arrive at this town called Sychar. And there is a well there, and I, was, I grabbed a drink, but I needed to find some lodging. And so when I got to the place and I was eating some food, uh, by the way, very hospitable people, they were telling the story about this uh, Jewish prophet who had come from the town of Nazareth, who had come by maybe 20 years before then, and he'd stayed several days in this town of Sychar. And while he was there, it was like he knew the people without knowing them. Like he'd never met them, but he like knew them. He knew their stories and he could tell things about them. And he was doing that in order to show them how they had stepped away from God's will for their life. But in the exposing them of not following God's law, he, there was also this sense that the people got that there was forgiveness if they would come to God. But something else about this prophet that they were sharing with me is that he claimed that he was actually the Jewish Messiah. He was the promised deliverer that God, the Jewish God, was going to send. And I learned something that he challenged he challenged the status quo, not only of the Samaritan people, but also of the Jewish people. He challenged where and what true worship was all about. He said that worship doesn't happen on the mountain in Jerusalem, nor does it happen on the mountain that the Samaritans wanted to worship from, but that God was a spirit and those who would worship him, Jews, Samaritan, non-Jew, whoever, those who would worship him must worship God in spirit and truth. As I finished the meal and I lay down that night, my mind was just racing. What does it mean to worship God in spirit and truth? But I also thought, how many of God's laws have I broken? Maybe without even knowing it. But in these stories about this Jewish Messiah, I found that there is a hope rising in my heart and I fell asleep, hopeful. The next day I decided that I was gonna leave Sychar. I thanked my hosts for their hospitality. And as I was making my way north, I realized I had crossed out of the Jewish homeland and I was back into uh, the area of Syria. This was fine with me. I had not, uh, found what I was looking for, and I was ready to get home. I'd been gone for weeks at this point. And I knew that my next stop was going to be in the great city of Damascus. I'd kind of skirted past it on the way down there, but I was looking forward to getting there. Damascus was a diverse place, people from all different uh, ways of life, and there was, uh, there was just a vibrancy about the place. It was a pretty long walk, though, and so I had plenty of time to think, and I was thinking again about this Jewish Messiah and his call to the people of Sychar to consider how they've turned away from God's rules, his laws, his commandments. And I, and I thought about all the ways that I've broken God's laws, and I sensed in my heart a real regret over them. 
It made me wonder, was this why I got such a poor reception in Jerusalem? Did they know? Could they see? Did they know that I would, was a sinner? Is this why they looked so scornfully at me or why the moms hid their kids? Was I, was I unclean to them? Well, I arrived in Damascus and the city didn't disappoint. There was life there. But that's not really the most important thing that happened to me in Damascus. While I was there, I heard of another Jewish man. His name was Ananias and he'd lived there his whole life. And he had had an encounter with a man named Saul. Saul wasn't from Damascus. He was from a town called Tarsus that was on the Mediterranean. Uh, and this Saul was zealous for the law. Years before, Saul had come to the city of Damascus, Ananias uh, told me, I went to Ananias' house, and he's the one who shared this story. Saul had come to uh, Damascus, and everybody knew about it. Well, at least the followers of Jesus, who, by the way, they called themselves the way, those who followed Jesus. And Saul was coming up from Jerusalem to imprison, to arrest, and haul back the followers of the way to Jerusalem. Along the way, Saul was knocked off of his horse. Along the way to Damascus, before he had even arrived. And a voice from heaven and a bright light had shone down them. And, and, and Saul went blind and he was on the ground. And though his companions couldn't hear him, he heard this voice that said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Saul remained blind for three days. He didn't eat or drink a thing. But this Ananias who was telling me this story, he got a vision from God. And he said, I want you to go to Saul and I want you to pray for him to receive his sight and to receive the Holy Spirit. Ananias was wary, but he also knew he needed to listen to the, to the Lord's voice. And so he went and he found Saul and he prayed for him and he said that the Lord had sent him and something like scales, it said, he said, fell from Saul's eyes. And in that moment, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, Saul was. Now, what was interesting is that Immediately, Saul wanted to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, the one who, whose voice he had heard from heaven. He wanted to be baptized as a, as a sign to show that he was devoted to following Jesus. Now, Ananias told me that Saul stayed there for many days. And, and he began to teach in the synagogue there in Damascus. And he would teach that Jesus was the Christ. It was an amazing transformation that had happened in this man's life. He had come from Jerusalem in order to arrest the followers of the way, and now all of a sudden he was promoting the way. It got so crazy that the Jews there who were against the way, 
they decided they needed to get rid of Saul. They couldn't answer the, they couldn't stand against him because Saul had been trained at the feet of the great one of the great teachers of the Jewish law. His name was Gamaliel. Saul was just a master of the scriptures, and he showed from the Word of God that Jesus was truly the way. But they still wanted to kill him, and so the other followers of Jesus heard about this, and they actually had to lower Saul out a window through in the city wall, lower him in a basket of all things. Crazy one night, so that Saul could escape and not be arrested and caught. Now Saul went on his way, but the message that Saul was preaching lasted there in Damascus. I asked Ananias, I said, weren't you scared to go and see him? And I remember what Ananias said. He said, yeah, I was scared. But when the Lord told me to go, he said, Saul is my chosen instrument and he's going to carry my name to the Gentiles and kings and to the children of Israel. I thanked Ananias for his hospitality as I left him. It was getting to be nighttime. And on my way back to where I was staying, I just began to think, does the Lord really want Gentiles, Gentiles like me, to hear about Jesus? And as I get back to my lodge, I lay down to go to sleep. I'm captured, captivated really, by the reception that I have received while I'm in Damascus. Ananias was Jewish, but he didn't treat me like the Jews had treated me when I was in Jerusalem. He didn't look at me like I was a stranger or an outsider. He spoke to me as someone who was apart from God, apart from God's love. Ananias obviously loved Jesus, and he wanted me to love him too. I'd been gone for a long time, but the more I learned about this way, the more I realized I needed to to learn. So as I left Damascus, my journey was supposed to turn me east, back home. But I found out that Saul's story uh, continued in a coastal town on the Mediterranean Sea, a town called Antioch. And I just had to go find out more. It was a 200-mile diversion, but it was worth it. I'd been gone this long, and something was happening in my heart. That's a long walk. 200 miles. And so as I was on my way, I was just reflecting on all of the things that had happened and I had learned on my journey. These Jews were devoted to a singular God. They believed in one God. But we Zoroastrians, that's what we're taught. The Jews' God, though, however, was much more personal than the Zoroastrian God. For us, Ahura Mazda, he was just a deity that would determine if our life had been lived good enough that we could make it to a pleasant afterlife or whether we had to be punished in the afterlife. It was all about how good you had lived. Will you make it to heaven? And of course, if you made it to heaven, then there were four levels, and so we had to determine if we were good enough for level one, two, three, or four. The Jews, however, their view of heaven was different. 
And how you get there is different. The Jews believed in uh, forgiveness, forgiveness that came through atonement, through uh, atonement which is purchased with blood. I had seen this in the temple of Jerusalem with all the animals that were being sacrificed. There was a sense that the, the Jewish people knew that they, by their good works, couldn't earn forgiveness. The Jews' idea of heaven also was different because for a Zoroastrian, uh, heaven was good simply because there was going to be pleasure and peace. But for the Jews, the, the sense of the afterlife was brought joy to their hearts because they were going to be with their God. And as I'm thinking these thoughts, and I'm thinking how wonderful it is, would be, the sober reality hits me again that I'm not a Jew. I'm not a Jew. Will the Jews' God be a tribal God like so many other deities? Well, I was hoping that my trip to Antioch would help answer that question. And when I arrived, <clears throat> finally, after several days walking, when I finally arrived in Antioch, I find a band of people who call themselves Christians. Now, the term Christian, I think, started off as a derogatory term, like they were little Christ, but they took it as a badge of honor. But what was interesting to me is that this band of people in the town of Antioch were people who were both Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles. And as I spoke to them, I came to realize that they were of the same sect of the Nazarene that I had learned about in Sychar. They were of the same Jesus, followers of the same Jesus that I had learned from in Damascus from Ananias. And so I wanted to find out about their interactions of this man named Saul. And they were so excited to tell me about Saul. He hadn't lived there for some time, but they wanted to tell me their story. But they also wanted to tell me about this guy named Peter. Their stories intersected. So when the gospel had come to Antioch, it had come because Jewish people who had lived in Jerusalem and who had believed on Jesus were being persecuted and they were driven out of Jerusalem and they were going to all kinds of different places and they arrived, some of them arrived in Antioch and the gospel people believed in, my, in that town. Now Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest, closest friends when he lived on this earth, he, he had also scattered from Jerusalem, but he wound up in another place. And when he was there, he had a vision of this sheet coming down from heaven. And in that sheet were all of these animals that the Jewish people considered unclean to eat. But a voice from heaven says, eat these animals. Peter said, no, 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 I've never eaten anything unclean. And this happened three times. Finally, the voice said, what I have declared clean, don't call it unclean, Peter. And Peter realized that this wasn't about animals. This was about the prejudice within Peter's own heart towards the non-Jewish people. Right about that time, Peter heard a knock on the door and a group of people were inviting him to come and share the gospel with one of the centurion soldiers in a nearby town. These were Gentiles, and because Peter just had this vision, he 
decided that he was free to go. And so he went and he shared the gospel with this centurion and his family and his whole extended family believed. And Peter knew they believed because they received the Holy Spirit just like the Jews had received it on the very first day, on the day of Pentecost, when they believed the gospel. This good news that came to the centurion family also came to the Gentiles in Antioch. And many believed, both Jew and Gentile, and this diverse church all of a sudden was born. This group called Christians was started there. And so now here we get the story about Saul. Saul was brought from his hometown of Tarsus. He was there for some reason. Saul came in to teach the Jewish and Gentile believers in Jesus what it meant to follow Jesus and establish them in their faith. Now, this is where it gets interesting because Paul and Peter actually had this little confrontation that was uh, handled publicly. What happened is that Peter began to act hypocritically. You see, when Peter was in Antioch, uh, he would eat freely with the Jews and the Gentiles because he knew that God didn't require the Gentiles to become Jews. That's what that vision was all about. But what happened is that when some Jews came up, and these were sort of followers of Jesus, but they were of the circumcision party. They were really into being Jews. And when those people came up to Jerusalem, I mean from Jerusalem to Antioch, and Peter saw them, all of a sudden Peter started to withdraw from the Gentiles. Now, when Paul heard about this, he was livid, and he realized Peter may be a leader in the church, but he needs to be confronted publicly because this is going to kill the church if there is a division simply based upon ethnicity. He knew that this would destroy the church, but he also knew that this would mortify the heart of God. It would dishonor God, the God who, because of Christ, made no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. And Paul... Who was the, which was the new name for Saul, Paul got into Peter's face publicly and rebuked him in front of the church. And he said to them, if you're a Jew and you can live like a Gentile, why do you make the, why do you make the Gentiles become Jews and carry burdens that we can't even carry? And Peter knew he was stuck. He knew he'd done the wrong thing. And he knew that Gentiles did not have to become Jews in order to become followers of Christ. I listened to that story and I thought, oh man, I wish I had been a fly on the wall to see that. But more than anything, I thought, I wish I could meet this Saul character. My time in Antioch was just transformative. It hit me while I was there that I hadn't been brought on this journey just to visit Jerusalem at Passover. No, I had gone on this journey to encounter Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. I had come to learn that he was the Son of God who had come to seek and to save that which was lost. I had come to learn that in, in doing that, he had lived a sinless life, that he had lived always his entire life in perfect obedience to the law of God. 
He was unlike any other person who'd ever done that. During his life, he had taught people about God's kingdom, but he'd also shown God's power by doing amazing miracles, raising people from the dead, healing the sick, uh, giving recovery of sight to those who were blind. After three years, Jesus went to Jerusalem for one final Passover for his life. And while he was there, he was arrested because he was betrayed by one of his friends. And then he was abandoned by the rest. He was put through a mock trial, not only of the Jews, but also of the Gentile leaders of that time. And he was scourged and he was eventually crucified. He was hung up on one of those Roman crosses between two criminals. I learned that Jesus had been buried in a borrowed tomb and that his followers were crushed because all the hopes that they had thought for him being the Messiah were gone because Jesus was dead until on the third day he rose from the dead. And I realized that Jesus showed himself alive for a period of 40 days to convince those who had seen him on the cross and knew that he had died to convince them that he was truly alive so that they would believe upon him. And I learned that Jesus, after those 40 days, surrounded by his followers, was taken back up into heaven where he, st- where he still is until he comes again for his people. I realized that Jesus was not tribal like so many other deities. That Jesus was the savior of the world. That he was savior of the Jews, but he was also savior of the Gentiles, like me. I realized that Jesus was bringing together a people for himself from every ethnic group on the entire planet. You see, the Jews had been called to be a light to the nations, a light to the Gentile peoples. But for the most part, they weren't. But God now, today, is calling together a diverse church, a people for himself, so that we can be a light to the entire world. He is calling together Jew and Gentile, diverse people, calling us together to be one new man in Christ. You hear me say we, it's because when I was in Antioch, I put my faith in Christ. I repented of my sins, but not only of the bad deeds, the things that I had done wrong, but I repented of my self-righteousness. I repented of this belief that I had been taught in the faith that I was raised in that I could earn God's heaven. I had to repent of that. There was no way that I could earn a right standing before a holy God. That's why Jesus had to come. That's why he had to live the life he lived and die the death he died so that I could have forgiveness of sins. So that the the righteous life that he had when I put my faith in him could be granted and given to me. I've returned home since that journey to my home area and 
Basically, I live a very simple life, very normal life. I get up, I go to work. I'm raising my own family. I try to be a good citizen. But what I've found is that as I've come to trust in Jesus, that God's spirit is at work within me in my normal life. I had conflicts with people. I sometimes have conflicts in my home. But God, by his spirit, is creating peace and he's reconciling these relationships that could very easily be broken. I recognize that I've sinned and hurt people and I can confess that sin to them and it brings people together. Whether we, whatever creates that division and diversity, I've, I've, I've come to realize that Jesus is all about bringing peace and reconciliation between people who were once hostile to one another. But I've also come to realize that the greatest joy I have This is to let others know that they can have peace with God rather than a hostile relationship because of Jesus Christ. And my main calling now that my journey has brought me back home is to share this good news of Jesus with as many people as I can. So that's my story. That's my journey. It continues to this day. Where are you on your journey? I hope that the end of your journey leads you right to Jesus. You'll never regret it. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. As we close our service, obviously Amalu Bai, he is uh, a depiction of what it means uh, for diverse people to worship the same God in the same community. That's what we want to be. We want to be a church that is embracing of people uh, that express all of the diversity that God has put in them in one united fellowship. So now as you break up into your small groups and discuss uh, what you've heard uh, today, I just want to uh, commend you to the grace of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Have a wonderful week, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.